Welcome to Dungeons and Tangents. Uh, my name is Eric. My name is Robert. And today we are talking about building a backstory for your character. It's a subject that I guess we haven't covered before because we're covering it now. And that's usually how that kind of thing works. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense to me. Characters in tabletop games generally have backstories. Generally, not not always. Do they? That I mean, that that's a good question. Do they? They, well, they don't always. Let's just start with what we know. Have your characters that you've played as a player, not a DM, always had a backstory? Not always, no. Okay. Not every character that I've played has had a backstory. So uh, is there any commonality to the ones that do and the ones that don't? Yeah, the ones that do are the ones that I've played it as an adult, <laughs> where I was putting a lot more time and effort into them. Well, the did w- you put a bunch of uh, effort in the backstory for your... Uh, organized play character i did actually you did i did because i didn't know how organized play went i don't think a lot of people do that to be (laughs) honest actually the people that i talked to yeah uh at organized play they would have some surprisingly in-depth characters uh they'd at least have some sort of quirky something to their characters like one guy was a cleric and he didn't know what god he was a cleric to so he carried around pendants for every god <laughs> uh, and that I mean it's just this a, a little uh, flavor for his character but it's still kind of a backstory I will confess to creating backstories for my regular gaming group characters and, and putting zero effort into like the RPGA characters I used to play stuff oh, okay. like that they were just builds to take to a game to play with people that I would never see again that's fair um, which is probably a terrible way to approach that <laughs> Right? Um, I don't know. But also, a lot of time, building out like an RPG character, I was doing the last minute with a builder on the way to a con, still half asleep. Um, so, less time to prep, I suppose. You don't have to build a backstory. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's not a necessity of playing a game of D&D. It helps with making the narration parts, the, the narrative parts of the game more flavorful i suppose like you get to add your own flavor if you have a backstory to the game yes and that's something that i've struggled with when i first started playing was when i first started playing i had this this idea in my head that i couldn't craft the world that was the dm and for me to do so would be Mm -hmm. overstepping my bounds so i had to you know, get everything approved by a DM for my character's backstory. I couldn't take liberties, things like that, you know. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't until I started to run a game that I realized I want players to do that because if mm-hmm. nothing else, it's taking some workload off of my plate, right? Oh, yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with making your own backstory. Yeah, well, it's... There are things that you probably shouldn't put in your backstory. I, I can't think of any, right? I, um, El Minister is my uncle, and there's a prophecy that uh, the world will end unless I save it. In which case, you're mm. you're crafting or controlling narrative. Yeah, taking that's true. The DM. And I have when I played some some of the open play games, there were people who did thing, add things to their backstories that were kind of like I am the Messiah type things, and those were often the players that seemed like they weren't quite understanding the the nature of both open play and kind of cooperative DM. Is it the same player who did backflips everywhere? Yes. Okay, there you go. (laughs) When I think about backstories, 
uh, I think it was something uh, my wife Lynn told me because she was in drama once upon a time. And she said that the drama teacher she worked with told them, for any character you play in a play, uh, you're going to read the whole script and you're going to understand what the script is, but go home and figure out how did that person get to this point. If you know Glengarry Glen Ross, it's a great play and a, and a great movie. Um, Jack Lemmon's character, he's an old salesperson, well, how did he get to this point? Now, the, the, um, the play doesn't give any backstory to him, but you know that Jack Lemmon, he, he filled in the blanks. Right. And he probably had something, if it wasn't just a, a concept in his head of how that character was going to function within the context of the play or, or the movie, um, he may have actually written up, you know, he got married, he got divorced, he got married again, he got divorced. He's a, he's uh, kind of tired of life and he's he's beat up and this is like the last straw for him. What choices has he made previously? Yeah. Which of those choices haunt him to this day? <laughs> I've taken that that kind of piece of advice from Lynn and every time I think of a D&D character, I'm thinking about that. How did this character get to this point in time? And usually this point in time is sitting in a bar with a bunch of people. feels like there is a preset set of paths that D&D characters most often traverse to get to that tavern, sitting with a bunch of other adventurers who are most likely strangers. I've seen some really creative character backstories where it, it goes outside of those You those don't have to create it all at once, or maybe right. you do, you don't have to reveal all at once. I just finished watching a, a show. Um, I'm not going to say the name in case anybody hasn't seen it, and I want to spoil it, because if I, what I'm going to say would be very, kind of spoil some of the things. But the I, character, have I watched it? No, but okay. I can tell you when we're done. And it was phenomenal. Um, and there's a main character who you don't know... A whole lot about their history but you know a whole lot about like the past five years and it's obvious that and this is somebody who by definition is creating you know a false identity mm, okay. it's, it's part of the narrative um but it's really easy to kind of trace back you know how they would have gotten here right and as you peel away some of the layers you realize that what you it's a very easy trajectory like it's it's an obvious, I should say, not easy, an obvious trajectory of how they would have gotten there, and every kind of layer that gets peeled away, you, you realize that that obvious trajectory is, is completely wrong. How they got to where they were was not how you would have expected, um, and they don't tell you everything right away. And so as it keeps on going, you keep learning more and more. I'm so confused. And it takes you on a a, a very interesting journey. That this is, I thought they went through certain experiences to get to where they are, right? If you're, let's say you're going to be a thief, right? Okay. Certain things have happened where you got there. Like, you know, you've had certain life experiences, right? You wouldn't expect somebody to right. do something completely different, right? You wouldn't have expected them to be, you know, in the army or in, you know, helping people or doing something else. Like, you can subvert expectations of the backstory, too, depending so, on yeah. how you present it, right? So yeah. there's a lot of different reasons for having a backstory and a lot of different uses for them. So the, the reasons for a backstory are fascinating to me. I mean, one of the reasons is so you can 
kind of add your own color and your your own depth to the gameplay that you're doing. But sometimes I've heard people talk about character backstories as it's it's your way of either playing out a fantasy that you are interested in, like living through a character that you idolize in some way. Like if you really like, we talked about this before, Tyrion Lannister. Everybody loves Tyrion because he's such a jackass. Wouldn't right. you love to be Tyrion? Why not? I mean, that's that's kind of the purpose of uh, D&D is you can be the character that you enjoy watching on a TV show and you get to take over the control of them and, and do all the things that you can imagine in your head that obviously hasn't happened in the show or the book or the movie. But I've also seen people, they'll take aspects of their own lives. I feel like I read an article once where they're talking about how D&D lets children kind of experiment with life itself. Your first characters might be very much like you, but you take that character and you stretch yourself by trying things that you wouldn't do on your own uh, within this, this, the confines of this story. It's a, a rather unique situation playing D&D to be able to do that. You could kind of do that through video games these days, but video games are relatively boxed in. Yeah. You don't get to live out a, a fantasy or you, you don't get to extend the boundaries of yourself beyond real life through a video game. You're just living out whatever storyline that video game has given you. I started realizing that a lot of the characters that I write up are often either a mashup of my own life or, well, they are. They're, they're a mashup of, of my life and characters that I uh, find interesting in books. Um, so my life, I was nomadic as a kid. Like, my dad was in construction, so we moved around a lot. Almost every character that I write is nomadic. <laughs> and I just I realized that when prepping for this mm -hmm. episode that this is a, a reoccurring theme. My inspiration is oftentimes my own life. And, I, and it, are are your characters always napping? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's natural, and I, I think that's something that you can't really get away from without consciously trying to get away from it. And by consciously well, trying true. to get away from it, you you could even do it more. Yeah. Um, I, I think that people, for the most part, do one of two things. They try and play an amplified version of themselves, mm -hmm. or they play the a character that represents what they always wanted to be or wanted yeah. to do, but ne didn't necessarily weren't like that. Like, So if you're quiet, you play somebody who might be really brash, right? Um, or if you're really loud, you might play somebody who's more quiet and shy, or if you're super athletic, you might play a wizard, or you might play a fighter. Like it's it's either like a super uh, overemphasized version of yourself, or it's something that maybe maybe you always wanted to but didn't think you could, or you're, or you're just curious about what would it be yeah. like if I was something different. I often play fighters. I am not a fighter type. Like that's just mm -hmm. not me. And and you you see that I think when you have somebody who really is there to play a role-playing game. If you've got somebody who there is, who's just to play a board game, they're just going to pick some a mechanic at that point. Right. And that's, that's the other thing. The, I think the, the type of game you're going to play really dictates whether or not you even need a backstory. Absolutely. If, if the purpose is, uh, let's play old style dungeon crawl D and D it's going to be hack and slash and kick down the door. 
the backstories is going to be a waste of time. But if it's going to be a big epic story where there's political intrigue, chances are if you're run, running with a DM who likes that style of storytelling and political intrigue and, and mysteries, they'll probably want to tie the characters into that. I don't know if I'd ever say that the, a backstory is a waste of time, even if it's pure <laughs> mechanics, just because it helps add to the, the flavor of, of that uh, that's true. experience, I, right? I think that's true. But I can I know there are there are probably players out there who are just like eh I'm not gonna even bother. Well, I think it's hard to keep an even keel, as far as it's it's just rules or we're role playing right. Keep that level. Mm. You're either gonna you're gonna elevate your role playing or you're going to gravitate more towards just the mechanics. Right, so if you're not if you're not role playing more, then you're kind of devolving into mechanics more. I almost don't want to say devolving because it has a negative connotation, yeah. but you're you're gravitating towards one or the other. You're not staying static for the most part. So if you're not if you don't implement a backstory or do something to help you kind of move upward towards that role playing, you're still saying upward because role well, playing apparently is better than than mechanical well, it's gameplay. It's better than just fucking math, right? <laughs> And I think so. At a certain point, you're going to devolve into just math. And then, yeah. well, you can do that shit on your own. <laughs> you know, and what we're, we're here to do, I'm, I'm not here for group math. <laughs> you know, I'm nerdy. I'm not that nerdy. I'm <laughs> shit. I'm here to, to experience a, a story and have that this shared experience with other players. And, and you know, to go back. And, and I don't know anybody who sits there at a bar and is like, you met one time when two plus two was four? I, <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, but remember that time when, you know, Droop went out in the, in the dark and killed all those goblins and we thought it was some big monster. We all remember that from yeah. that group, right? That group. I don't remember a single dice roll of exactly. that particular. You don't remember the math. No. You remember the story and the narrative it represented. Yeah. So I think it's incredibly important. Now I will remember the, the outlier dice rolls. Yeah. I remember some of the, like... But they're the dice rolls that were interesting in the story. And generally, when you roll a 1 or a 20, what do you do? Uh, uh, hide it if it's a 1 and <laughs> scream if it's a 20. You add additional narrative based off of it. Mm-hmm. If it's a 20, oh, his head explodes as you hit yes. him with a mace. If it's a 1, you trip over your sword and, you yeah. know... Hit the ground. Hit the ground. <laughs> you add a little bit of extra to it because it... it that's what really you're after is that that narrative, that shared imagination of, of what's going on. Um, and that one or that 20 helps you realize that and it galvanizes the whole group mm-hmm. in this one thing, this one number. But we're not here. We don't build the backstory for the numbers. We have the numbers to facilitate the backstories, right? Right. At least I do. Yeah. I've never seen somebody who does it the other way around. The, the numbers are inspiring me to tell a story. That comes into building the backstory for a character. If I do it, uh, if I'm building a character and I um, I roll the numbers, let's say I roll roll three d or four d six, take the top three for the first stat and just plug it into strength, and then I roll for the next and the next and the next and the next, and I come up with a character that's dumb as dirt. <laughs> I'm gonna that inspires the backstory. So again, the numbers inspire the story. I'm not doing it. Sometimes I could do it the other way. Like, 
I want somebody who's dumb as dirt. Actually, the last character I built, I was like, I want this guy to be stupid. So I fudged the numbers to make him stupid, and I essentially built the character I wanted number-wise because I already had a story. I guess what I'm getting at is the backstory can come from a lot of different places. Yeah. In that case, it came from uh, an NPC that I wrote. And the inspiration for that NPC was actually somebody else's character from an actual play uh, podcast, the, the Critical Role folks. Hmm. So I just stole one of the characters from Critical Role and turned him into an NPC and then turned him into a character. But then I wrote my own backstory because I was like, well, I've, he's got to have more depth than just he's a big, stupid barbarian idiot. And I made him nomadic because most barbarians, that's kind of a traditional it thing. That makes sense, yeah. Plus my personal experience living nomadically. Yeah, anyway, and then I had a character. But there are mechanical devices that have been kind of provided for building a backstory. I don't know if they did anything before 5th edition, but in 5th edition now, you've got those, what is it, the bond, the flaws. Yes. Okay. It's personal traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws. Mm. You know, I can't remember how, how those all play out, but something like flaws is if uh, you can't not insult people if you see an opportunity to, to insult somebody. That would be a flaw. I feel like these are inspirational elements. They're, they're not like, here is where your character grew up, their friends, their family, what motivates them and why it motivates them. It's more of like, it can inspire you to build out a more flavorful character. So knowing that the flaw of a character is to insult anybody if they see an, uh, an opportunity to insult them, well, why are they doing that? And they must have some insecurities. Let me think about those insecurities. And it uh, inspires you to, to think in more depth about your character. Was there anything like this in a previous edition? Not that I'm aware of. There were, like, kits. Mm. So in second edition, there were uh, skills and powers. In third, there were prestige classes that you get later on that, like, you would it would fit you into a kind of... A certain kind of mold for the most part hmm. but I don't remember anything where it actually specifically said choose some things that help define your character's personality where they're from things like that um, I, I think it's pretty cool and I, I like the way it's reinforced with the inspiration points too that's right I mean the intention is that the if you play your character in a way that reflects the background of your character you get an inspiration point and an inspiration point you can use it at any time to change change any role into an advantage or a disadvantage right right any d20 role i, I love that um i know the podcast uh, glass cannon they use that all the, the time bottle caps yeah they call it bottle caps well and i i wouldn't be surprised if that bottle cap concept hasn't been around outside of I have edition. no idea, to be honest. I've, I'd never heard of that before 5th. Oh, and then okay. I would notice other things after 5th. Now, I'm sure there's some house rules that yeah. had something like that. But That's I remember it being part of the actual you know, base mechanic right. from okay. the PHB before 5th edition. Granted, I never played 4th edition, so I don't know. Okay. Well, I didn't either. But 4th edition, did, from what I've heard of 4th edition, 
it doesn't sound like an addition that was um, particularly reinforcing uh, role play, role play, and storytelling. It was... I've heard both. Oh, really? Ways, um, but to be fair, um, one of those point of views is wrong. One of them's right. <laughs> so, uh, I never found it to be uh, something that really inspired role playing. I felt like it kind of almost took the power to role play the character out of your hands and try to do it for you in a very limited yeah. fashion. Uh, but again, I didn't play it, so I could. That's yeah, very possibly a very unfair opinion of mine. Did you? You must have read some manuals. Well, I've got the books. I read yeah. the books and wasn't just wasn't playing D and E at the time. I played a lot during third and started again during fifth, but nothing in the books inspired me to, to play. <laughs> to be honest, um, and I listened to like uh, Acquisitions Incorporated That's stuff right. like that. They started in fourth. Didn't they, they started in fourth, and I liked the stories, but I would feel mechanics sometimes come through the podcast mm-hmm. and feel like. I feel like the edges showed a lot, the rough edges yeah. on that, where, you know, the flavor text for the attacks and all that, where I'm like, okay, well, you're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm not sure why that bothered me so much in fourth and mm. not in third and in fifth, because let's be honest, we're doing the same thing over and over and over again yeah. in third and fifth. I can only hit you with a longsword so many different ways. Right. <laughs> hitting you with a longsword, right? <laughs> but something about the way that was just put together in fourth highlighted that to me, where it felt like it was repetition. Um, but I've talked to people who, who love fourth. So, hmm. like anything else, I think it's mostly in how you use it. I mean, it's oh, a rule fair. set. It's a mechanic. It's yeah. a tool. You can use that however you want. It does feel like everybody who plays any edition of D and D is going to change how they play the game. They're going to be house rules. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, first off, it's such a complex set of rules. You, you can find rules for just about anything. Somebody wants to uh, knock on a door, you could have a, a, you know, how hard are you knocking on the door chart somewhere. I'm sure that somebody's done that. I shit you not. That's part of third edition as far as <laughs> there are modules that will tell you how many hit points a door has. I think that's in the DMG the for fifth edition. Of, is it? It I, is. I have barely cracked the spine of my fifth edition DMG. The hardness of a door, yep. the hit points it has, like... Which makes sense because well, for breaking down a door, yeah, right? that that makes sense because doors in dungeons are such a common occurrence. Now, the hardness of pottery and how many <laughs> hit points a piece of pottery has probably not something you need a, a chart for. Uh, until you find yourself without a weapon and all you have is a, some pottery, and you start throwing <laughs> it to people. Now it's important, right? Yeah, and I'm sure somewhere out there there's a giant book that has. Every object that would be in a medieval uh, setting with all the hit points and the ACs and everything. I'm going to look for that book. <laughs> it's probably on Drive-Thru RPG. They have a lot of very cool like collection PDFs, like 100 things you would find in a tavern or oh, something like cool. that, which is a very cool uh, kind of role-playing tool for a DM who needs to populate a tavern or yeah. just have a list on hand of something goes sideways, you're not thinking about it, and all of a sudden you're you know, breaking in a into fight. a tavern or in a bar fight. <laughs> breaking one of those lists is pretty cool. But uh, but that doesn't have a whole lot to do with... Um, mechanical devices for backstories? Or backstories at all. True. The, so the other tool that I know of for backstories is that the backstory cards. Yeah. I'm, sh- you know, I'm sure there are dozens, if not hundreds, of backstory 
tools out there. I have no doubt there are a bunch of uh, random tables that you roll on and then give you a bunch of backstory stuff. Yeah. I would be surprised if there isn't. I mean, so I heard somebody recently say that D&D is like an apprenticeship for being a writer or an actor. It gives you the tools that you need to write stories and to act. So I'm sure that there's a lot of crossover when it comes to acting tools and and writing tools. Do you remember who said that? Not off the top of my head. Do you? Was it an actor or a writer? It was a writer. It was in that uh, 30 years of adventuring. Yeah. Do you remember who it was? No, but Crap. I, it feels to me the kind of thing where... It might have been Stephen Colbert. You see it that way because that's where you... That was your destination to become well, an actor yeah, or writer. That's true. Becoming an actor or writer could be a good intro to playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> that is also true. What's your goal? What is it that you're trying to get out of, right? Like, for me, I'm more than happy playing Dungeons and Dragons. I could see myself taking some acting classes so I can get comfortable enough to do voices and stuff like that. Because, you know, I'm not that comfortable. But, you know, for me, I'm, I want to, what do you want to use things for? I want to use them to, to be better at playing Dungeons and Dragons. So, <laughs> my perspective would be that, okay, well, that's part of my path to being a better player. Somebody who wants to be an actor might think, oh, well, it's part of my path to being a better actor. That feels more like perspective I, I to me than anything right. else. I know that, so that book, uh, the 30, I think it was called 30 Years of Adventuring. I do not remember you, at all. You, you bought it for your ex-DM, right? Yeah. And I just got it like last week. Uh, got a used copy. And I flipped through it. And I was like, ah, I don't like this book at all. But then obviously I got a good <laughs> tidbit out of it. Uh, and it's full of interviews with uh, writers, actors, mostly writers and actors, yeah, and game designers who were influenced by D and D. Now you see, I wonder what the game designers would have said, right? Well, they probably would have said that it, it's it's an apprenticeship in writing a game because as a DM, you you kind of have to make rules up yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I was starting to talk about the um, backstory cards. Yes. Which is something um, I found like a year ago and finally used them three weeks ago for the first time. Mm-hmm. I was kind of unimpressed. But the point of the backstory <laughs> cards is that they're supposed to help with group backstory writing. So you pull a card and it says you and the person next to you or the person two seats away from you were at some event and something happened and now you hate them. Why do right. you hate them? It's a, it's a prompt to, to write a little bit of a backstory. It felt to me like the backstory cards, I liked them, first of all. I'm just mm-hmm. at, I thought they were a really cool idea and I enjoyed using them, but uh, it was a little weird to use them without going and knowing you were going to do that. Like it, oh, of, okay. it was a surprise, which we didn't know we were going to do that. Yeah, right? I didn't know I was going to do that. I was just like, ah, let me pull these out. We should do something that'll... And it felt like it might have gone a little bit smoother if we were players who were more used to playing with each other. Yeah. As opposed to kind of, we were, it was a newer group. Yeah. And I could see it as being a really good exercise to break in a new group. Yeah. But at the same time, it depends on the players, because D&D can be kind of personal as far as your characters and all that. Yeah. Um, the, I would liken it to I once <laughs> I was once dating someone and I met her parents for the first time and, okay. the, and they wanted to play uh, apples to apples okay right 
which is basically it is uh, Cards Against Humanity before. Well, yeah, before. Right. And I had a bunch of cards that I thought were hilarious that I didn't play oh, because yeah. I had no clue how that was going to go over with the parents, right? Did you just sit there with... Like, I, I held on to like three cards <laughs> the, like the whole night. Not gonna. Did one no, of them say "Big Black Cock"? <laughs> this is, again, this is apples to apples. <laughs> some of them were a little political, right? Oh, okay. Um, and I just, I just held on to those cards, and I, I did it for dear life. Didn't blame. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, uh, I played cards against humanity with Savannah's parents and uh, and family and, and and brother, who's twice my size and probably tear me in half with. You know, without even thinking about it, and gotten pretty inappropriate with those cards, yeah. and felt perfectly comfortable with them. Yeah. But I know everybody there; we're all in good standing. You know, it that unknown made it feel can make it feel kind of weird. I and I think the I think you're right about the backstory cards. They're like an icebreaker, mm-hmm. and it feel it, they really feel like an icebreaker game. It when we when we did it, it was in our fifth or fourth or fifth session and it felt weird like stopping in the middle of the game to say hey let's build some backstory now it felt a little like shoehorning something into what we were doing it could it could have been a dedicated session uh probably a little bit closer toward the beginning yeah of the campaign i I almost feel like it should be a we're a new group hey we're gonna build our characters together we're gonna write some backstory together and we're gonna learn about one another as players Mm-hmm. Uh, and so let's let's do character building, tell one another about characters, and then let's do these backstory cards where we all add one or two extra little things that you you hadn't made up yourself to your characters. The way they were structured, it was almost impossible to use though without having some common knowledge because it was like yeah. You, you had to be able to reference certain things that were canon in the world because it would say this organization's after you. Well, if I don't know any of the organizations, right? That's a rough kind of concept to to come up with because I Which, don't have anything to work with. Uh, this kind of gets into uh, how Fate Core works. I've been interested in Fate Core, and it's it's another game uh, system, and they have a whole session or a whole section of the book that's dedicated to world building and character building. So you don't just build a character and their backstory, and you don't do any of these alone. You do them all as a group. Hmm. So you get together and you say, what's the world going to be like? What kind of organizations are there? What kind of conflicts are there? What what are we going to solve together? It's a weird approach to uh, to tabletop role-playing, at least for somebody who's played a lot of D&D, it feels weird to get together and say, what's our conflict going to be? Right. When more often than not, the DM comes and is snickering behind the DM screen saying, <laughs> I know what the conflict is, you guys don't. Right. And when you find out, you're going to not be happy with me. There's an, an element of trust to that exercise, that mm. that backstory building when, when we make it dependent on the other players that yeah. I think is incredibly valuable when you have it and incredibly hard to get when you don't. Yeah. I don't know. It, it almost feels like it's an interview process at that point. When you're, start, when you're starting with a new group it, of players, yeah, it it's like way. an interview process. Uh, and having something like the backstory cards or 
trying to do some character building together that vets out whether or not the group is going to like gel or not. Yeah, you can almost have a session and um, and just say if session this goes two well, is dependent upon how session one I, goes. Essentially, I, I think that is a very mature way to do D and D. So we're talking about RPG speed dating. <laughs> yes, <point>. exactly. <laughs> we get five people together, <laughs> and they got fifteen minutes to talk about. Hey, so why are you doing speed dating? Right. What's uh, what do you do? <laughs> Why aren't you dating the person, the third person to your left? <laughs> um, that you know, and then just come up with those backstories, those, those collaborative backstories, and then depending on how it felt and how those stories look, you just hey, this isn't going to work out. Or <laughs> no, it's, so I've been to a speed dating event or two, and the way that they work is usually you have a little sheet. And you say, yes, I want to uh, continue playing with this, uh, with this game group, or no, I don't. So everybody fills out secretly a yes or no and passes it in. Uh, I, I and feel everybody like has to put check yes or else we say sorry, no. I feel like there's a, a better geekier way to do that. Like you, you go around and you put a, a D20 with all ones on it in one box. So <laughs> one D20 is another one. Ooh, can you, can you buy... Uh, like custom D20s with all one number? I have to imagine you can. I, I, I really want one now. So that when I want something to happen in gameplay, I can roll openly and just be like, oh, sorry, the, the bad guy fumbles and he falls on his face. See, it's a one. Yep. <laughs> How to Get Your Players to Hate You by Eric Dewars. <laughs> all right. I think this is uh, the end of our topic today i think that before we go well dungeons and dragons speak dating that's got legs and we should see if we can run with that at some oh point oh my god as far as getting you know game groups that, together that guardian games would do that yes i think we grew up a, a really oh rough kind of concept and and yeah you gotta there's gotta be a a rolling d20s to find out Absolutely. who you're going to be paired up with. That should be involved somehow. Yeah. Uh, and it's probably been done already at some point. That's fine. It should be done again. It should be. It should be done like weekly. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, when, when you fall out of a, a gaming group, we need to find new players. You just go to that week's session. Oh, and... That is so genius. I wonder if that can be patented. I don't know. All right. Uh, that's our episode this week. <laughs> Uh, next episode, I'm thinking we might talk about DM agency. Yeah, we had a conversation about this where a kind of a light bulb went off that we realized it was a thing. <laughs> so Matt Coville has talked often about the fact that you should not take agency away from your players. That is, their ability to have control of their character. But the DM, once in a while, may lose control of their agency over right. their game and I've realized that I struggle with that sometimes so anyway it was a good topic and we talked a bunch about it just off microphone and we should do so on microphone if there's something else you'd like to hear us talk about as always you can uh, reach out to us on Twitter or on our website at yep. dungeonandtangents.net and Twitter we are at dungeon underscore tangent mm-hmm. And uh, if you like us, please rate us on iTunes. That is probably the most 
helpful way to get our podcast well known uh, out there. I think that is that's that's all for this episode. I believe so. Thanks for joining us. All right.